the thirstiest I have ever been in my life that I can recall was the summer of my seventh grade uh, school year. And I remember, again, very hot, hot summer. So it's in like the 90s, and I'm hanging out with my friends, and we're biking anywhere we want, small town. We just kind of, you get that picture, right? We, we hang out together, we play basketball, we have fun. And I remember one day I was with my best friend, and one of us, I'd like to think it was him, said, uh, why don't we bike to Chad's house? Okay, well, he, Chad lives in Hopewell, a little village about eight miles away from Chillicothe where I grew up, central Illinois. And we thought, well, we're going to go on bikes. It's in the 90s today. We didn't grab water. Like, we just, we felt in seventh grade, you're invincible. So we got on our bikes, and we started riding. About halfway there, what felt like we should have been there by now, I started to get really thirsty. And I'm looking at my friend, and maybe he brought water. Well, he didn't bring water. And, and so we thought, do we turn around and go back? And just call it quits, or do we keep going? Do we press on? Because we've got to about be there by now. And so I'm kind of talking to him. I remember stopping and seeing cars, you know, zip by us and just being so hot. And, and we're biking on a main road where there's not, there's not a lot of trees. You know how flat Illinois is. We're just, we're just biking, and the sun's beating down on us. There's no shade there. And I'm looking at him thinking, what have we done? You know, how, how crazy is this? We decided that we were probably over halfway there, so we might as well just keep going. And I remember getting to uh, the sign for Hopewell, and, and to get there, you have to go up this really steep hill to go up into the village. So we're biking up, you know, and trying to get up this thing. I remember getting to the top, and, and we, we arrived at Chad's house. And I remember uh, see, you know, seeing him in his yard, and, hey, guys. And all I wanted, I, the only thing I wanted was for him to turn on the hose. That's all I needed right then, and I just remember, you know, just drinking and drinking and drinking, and I'm thinking, I've never felt this thirsty in my entire life. You, you've been there, right? But you can pinpoint a time, right, where you were just incredibly thirsty. Kids always go to bed with a, with a drink before bed, right? They don't want to be laying there in bed with a thirst, why is anyone willing to pay $5 for a bottle of water in an amusement park on a hot day? Because it's just painful to be thirsty. Tonight I want to examine Jesus' uh, expression, his cry from the cross, I thirst. He said, he said a number of things from the cross. Not, not a lot that we have recorded, but one of them is, I thirst. A lot of you know what crucifixion does to a person. Um, I had this displayed in, in, in a very, uh, wow, unforgettable way when I was in high school. And I had a Bible teacher, went to a Christian school, and, and he, um, there was a large fence outside the back of the school, and he hung himself on the fence to show us what it would be like to hang there and try to breathe and push yourself up and get a breath. And I remember my, my teacher who, you know, it's not like he was some athletic skinny guy, you know, or so I mean he he was he, he's just hanging there and gasping and and pushing himself up and trying to get a breath. So Jesus is is hanging there, having to push himself up on the nails in his feet to breathe. He's bleeding 
And, and with all the fluid loss, you can imagine he'd be incredibly, incredibly thirsty, gasping for breath, tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth. And it's no wonder we don't have too many words that he said from the cross. I imagine even speaking. I, I just I walked out to get a drink tonight, not intentionally, only because I'm singing and I had something in my throat. And I'm like, I've got to speak, and I don't want to be like, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I walked out to get a drink, and, and as I was getting a drink, I thought, you know, funny that I'm talking uh, un- under no duress, and yet I want to I wanna make sure my, my throat is able to speak. And here's Jesus on the cross saying some of the most important things that we can ever look at. A dying man who, who, who can barely breathe, much less speak, and he says these things. So I want to look at... Jesus' cry from the cross, I thirst. Can we bring the text up, John chapter 19? I read from it earlier. This is later. Later, knowing that all was now completed. So this is at the end of his time. The end of his agony. Knowing that all was completed. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty or I thirst. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. How is it, in some of the things we sang tonight, Amazing Love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? You know, you think about Jesus, and one of the ways Jesus loved talking about salvation was water. It's an Old Testament image as well. Come, all you are thirsty. You can come and drink without cost, it says in Isaiah. Jesus, the water of life, is the one who is in agony because of thirst. What does that tell us? Like, what, what do we see in that statement? It was important enough for the biblical writers to include it. John knew it was important enough to write down. What does that tell us about Jesus and what happened on that Friday? First of all, in that statement, we see the full humanity of Christ. We see the full humanity of Christ It seems odd to talk about him that way to some of us. Maybe not all of us, but to some of us it seems odd to say that that Jesus had to feel these crazy limitations on his own body. I mean, we read the scriptures and we see there's times when, when someone touches him as he's walking through a crowd and he says, who touched me? And we're like, well, of course he must know he's God. He's omniscient, right? It's a lot easier to focus on the divinity of Christ. He's deity. He is God himself. And yet in the crucifixion, we see the man. And so we declare, as does the church historically, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. I remember theology classes where they say, what percentage was he God and what percentage was he man? Those professors trying to trick us in some way and make us think like, was it 50-50? It can't be. The mystery there is fully God, fully man. That God stooped down and took on a body. That the second person of the Trinity, who has existed forever, he is eternal, and yet 
he took on these limitations, these crazy limitations for a time. And one of which was he suffered thirst on the cross. It speaks to his humanity. Would you have given him a drink? If you were there and you heard him say, I'm thirsty, would you have gone up, bumped up against a Roman soldier and tried to give him a drink? The scriptures say we can give Jesus a drink. That we can actually do that Today, would you pull up the next passage out of um, Matthew 25? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. This is on the last day. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The least of these brothers. Brothers indicates family. Family. And the least of the brothers, meaning brothers that are vulnerable, Maybe, maybe family that's young and can't take care of themselves. But people that are part of the family of God across this country and across the world who are in need, physical need for clothes, for medicine, for a drink. The need for water across the world is great. So many people die because they don't have clean water. And, and, and so Jesus says here, you give one of those brothers of mine a drink. It's like you're giving it to me. And, and on the one hand, maybe some of us don't just get that, but, but if Jesus, if Jesus truly lives in these little children across the world that are indeed very thirsty, if He's united to them, if they have been crucified with Christ in union with Him, then, then we are giving Jesus a drink when we take that on. Is that what we're doing? Often when we think of the cross, we think of uh, the, the, the purity that Christ gives us, the forgiveness of sins, which is all great. And, and, and yeah, we've got to be thinking about that. James says, right, pure religion that God accepts as pure and faultless as this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, we're good at that pollution thing, I think. At least, at least we talk about that a lot. But are we equally good on the other side of that, which is caring for anyone that we see that's in need? The vulnerable ones. That's giving Jesus a drink. And for those that don't know Jesus, hopefully our offering of the drink also gives us the ability to share the good news that there is one that gives living water. Like Paul says in Galatians 6, we have to do good to everyone, but in particular those belonging to the family of God. So the soldiers, in hearing this, took a reed and took some wine vinegar, took a sponge, which 
apparently was a common thing for soldiers to have on them, and dipped it in the wine vinegar, put it on a, on, on a branch of hyssop, and lifted it so he could have a drink. What's the second thing we see then? What's the second thing we see in this statement, I thirst? Secondly, we see, we see the biblical determination of Jesus. The biblical determination of Jesus. I mean, the way it says it is, he did it so that Scripture would be fulfilled. That's the way John couches this whole passage. He does it so that Scripture will be fulfilled. So, on the one hand, when we sing a song like, uh, He thought of me above all, well, well, yeah, he died because he loves us and he's thinking of us. On the other hand, you could argue just as well that he died in submission to the Father. He died to fulfill Scripture. He, he's, he's the Word of God, right? He's the Logos of John 1. And so he gave the Scriptures to us, and now he's going to fulfill them to the detail. Can we bring up the next psalm, Psalm 22? One of the predictions that surely Jesus was fulfilling and saying, I thirst. It says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. This suffering servant was going to have great thirst. His strength was going to be gone like a potsherd. You know what a potsherd is? It's just a piece of broken pottery. It's just a piece of pottery that can no longer hold anything. It has no strength, no ability to keep anything in. It's just being poured out. Just a broken piece. And Jesus was a broken God-man who was so thirsty. The next passage that surely Jesus was thinking of when he said that. We bring that up. Psalm 69, 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. That the soldiers, not even knowing that that's what they were doing, lifted the sponge up for him to drink, and drink he did. He did receive vinegar for his thirst. It's a cheap substance. It wasn't something expensive by any means. But it's what they had and it's what they gave him. Now, as I said before, it was lifted up, John says, on a hyssop branch. And I think that's important too. I kind of take the impression that the details of Scripture are there for a reason. It's lifted up on this hyssop branch. Do you remember another place in the Old Testament that mentions hyssop? Passover. The Israelites have been enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years and now they get to leave after ten, ten brutal plagues, the last of which is the death of the firstborn. And the only way to escape is to apply the blood of a lamb onto your doorpost using hyssop. Can we bring up that passage? Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it into the blood of the basin, the blood of the lamb that's in that basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. God's great wrath was there at that time. His punishment, the consequences of the Egyptians' disobedience for not letting the children of Israel go. But the blood of the lamb covered them, the hyssop that they used to apply the blood, and I can't help but think, even though it doesn't say it, that the hyssop that lifted the sponge may have gotten the blood of the lamb on it that day during the crucifixion. 
So Jesus shows that he knows exactly what he's doing. He has amazing biblical determination. All that he does is to please the Father. He does it out of love for you and me, and he does it out of respect and submission to his Father in heaven. Oh, that we would have a similar biblical determination, right? That we'd view the Scriptures as, as not things that we look at to prove how right we are, but things that we look at, verses that we look at, so that we could obey them, so that we might love God as we should, so that we have a heart that follows fully after Him. Doesn't it make you wonder if part of that thirst Jesus had was a thirst for his own father. You know, it just you think about his separation there. You think about how he was understanding his own fulfillment of the Old Testament and how determined he was to do it. Look, I I've had the occasion to visit folks that live in the woods and a lot of you live there. Sometimes before I come out to visit you, you give me directions. And, and you say, turn here, do this. I have a steep driveway. Don't come out when it snows. <laughs> it's not good. Um, and, and I always listen. I, and sometimes I write it down, you know. And if you tell me it's not safe to come out by you in the winter, well, then I won't come out. I, I, I want good directions. May we look at the Scriptures as the only way to receive true direction in this life. Because to say, I'll figure it out on my own. That's not the way Jesus went to the cross. He said, I'm going to do this, but I'm doing it on my terms, according to my word, is what he's saying. I'm doing it so that I can fulfill everything that was going to be written about this. Wouldn't it have been easier to be passive, right? And just go with what whatever the Roman soldiers did to him and just take it, whatever. And yet even even though he was completely at the mercy, right, as we think of it, at the mercy of the Roman soldiers in the crowds, he really wasn't at their mercy at all. He was actually so much in control of everything he said and did, even down to expressing thirst. First Peter 1, verse 24 says, if we can pull that up, all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. I mean, do you? I mean, just it's a heart check time. When you consider Christ on the cross, you do consider his love for you, but do you consider that everything that happened there was a fulfillment of Scripture, and that God's will for you is also to obey? the Scriptures, as close as you can by the Spirit's enabling. Oh, that we would all long the way He longed to do everything according to the Scriptures. Uh, number three. In Jesus' cry of thirst, we see the intense suffering of Christ. The intense suffering of Christ. If he can make streams of living water flow up into you and me. If he can offer the Samaritan woman water that would cause her never to thirst again. Certainly he could have satisfied his own thirst on the cross. 
Certainly he could have done something to help himself, and he didn't. Just like Satan tempting him with the, with the stones, right? Turn these stones to bread. You're the miracle worker. You help all sorts of people. Help yourself. Just as he turned water into wine for a wedding, he could have dealt with the thirst, but he did not. He limited himself and what he would do. Earlier in the crucifixion, you know what happens. Earlier in the crucifixion, they offer him wine vinegar, and he refuses it, right? You, you remember that, right? He says no to it. And it's only at the end that he accepts it with intention. Why say no? Except that he might experience the full intensity of his own suffering. Don't give me anything to dull the pain. Don't give me anything to cloud my mind. I want to be completely in control of my thoughts. I want to experience everything that God has for me to experience right here and right now. Matthew 26.42 says, In the garden, Jesus went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He was intending to drink fully of the cup God has had to give to him. So we also see the cup in Psalm 75.8. In the hand of Yahweh, in the hand of the Lord, is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. And the wicked deserve that. And yet Jesus drinks fully of the suffering. Nothing to dull his pain. Nothing to take away his anguish. He refused anything until it was accomplished. That's what the verse says. Knowing that everything was accomplished, that's when he said, I thirst. And you know he felt it. He felt it a long time before that last moment. And yet he asked for it then to fulfill Scripture. He asked for it maybe even to, to just clear his throat one last time in order to say, it's finished. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.11 To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty We're in rags We're brutally treated We are homeless You see Not very American But if you've been lonely He was lonely The disciples all deserted him if you felt friendless, so did he. If, you, if you've ever felt betrayed by someone close to you, so was he. If you ever felt like your body was betraying you because it's just not healthy and well and whole, he's been there. And so it's one thing to say that God who created us knows about our weakness. another thing to say that God has experienced all of it too. And didn't dull any of the pain. I remember my wife going into labor. And uh, for, with Derek. And he came so fast. And I remember her getting there and said, uh, you know, I, I want you to dull the pain. You know, can you give me that shot, you know, and help me out. And, and no, there's just no time for that. Well, give me Tylenol. Give me something. I remember her saying that, you know. Give me something. And I remember the doctor saying, 
Tylenol's not going to touch that, you know. I mean, that's just, it's not happening. <laughs> but, but none of us begrudge a woman her, her uh, Tylenol on the day of giving birth or, or a shot to dull the pain. Not, none of us would take that away from her. Anything to help. Anything to help. And yet for Christ, there was nothing to help, and He would not have it. He fully intended to drink the cup down to the last drop of your sin and my sin and feel every last ounce of pain coming His way so that He can relate to us fully. When you talk to Jesus in the middle of your trial and your hurt and your betrayal and your pain and the weakness of your body, He says, yes, I have been there. And I feel for you. And I will help you. In fact, it says in Hebrews, we have confidence to go before the throne because he is so sympathetic, because he's been made like us, and he knows we can go to God with confidence. He will help us. He'll help us in the middle of our pain. Let's close with this. Some of the last words of the Bible are in Revelation You can pull that up now. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus' invitation to you is to partake of the water of life. This idea that all of the needs that you have, all of the deep-seated longings of your soul and your heart are met by Christ. That's the truth. And maybe for you, you've been trying to satisfy those needs with relationships, with money, with success, with popularity, with any number of things that Satan says, please do this, this will make you happy. You'll finally, you'll finally come to the end of your longings if you only have this. And yet Christ says, the only thing to satisfy the thirst of your soul is me. That's the word of Christ to you today. That he died to take away your sins and he died to bring you into relationship with God. And that's the only thing that will ever satisfy you completely. Would you consider that this evening if you have not before? Let's pray. Jesus, because of your thirst, all of the thirsts of our life have been satisfied. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's your promise, and we know that it's true. We're not just saying it. We're not just saying it because it sounds good or to make people join a church. We're saying it because it's absolutely true that the ways of this world are empty and broken and meaningless and useless. And the only way, the only way, the only way to give us what we really need was at the cost of the only perfect human. Thank you, Jesus, for satisfying my thirst, for satisfying our thirst. Thank you for showing us that this world is empty in comparison to you. Thank you for identifying with all of our weaknesses that when we look at all the things that trouble us, we can look at you and know that you've been there that we're not alone in our suffering. Thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.